One of our ministries as a church is our food pantry, wherein we offer and serve groceries, food to people in our community who have needs. We've been doing this for many years, and um, I'm thankful for the volunteers who spend a lot of time both preparing to do this and showing up to serve our community this way. Our food pantry, the food there, is provided by an organization called Food Gatherers. And I was reading some information about food gatherers and just how things have changed for them during the past year as we've been in the pandemic. They've had to change several things about the way that they go about distributing food. But one of the things that was mentioned in the article I read is that they have increased their provision of food by 30%, 30% over the past year because of the pandemic. And we as a church, our food pantry ministry has also seen an increase. They've asked us to go from our pre-COVID schedule of twice a month distributing food to every week. And so our volunteers show up every Saturday to distribute food. And I believe I've been told that there have been longer lines than normal as more people are coming to seek help and seek relief through the food ministry that we offer from the pandemic. Now, all of this illustrates something that you already know. And that's something that you already know is that there are many people in need around us. The pandemic and really the response to the pandemic has caused many needs to be greater than they were before. Many people who were able to provide for themselves are now in greater need than before. But the truth of the matter is that even in a world like ours, even in a country as prosperous as ours, there are people around us who have needs. And many of those needs are visible to us. They're visible to us by the people standing by the side of the road with a sign asking for some money, some assistance. I feel like there are more of those these days than normal. They're also visible to us and people who come to the food pantry for food or someone who might approach you as you enter a store asking for some, uh, for uh, a monetary handout. But there are some people who have needs that are almost invisible to us. Maybe they're actually able to stay alive. They're actually able to provide enough for themselves to stay alive, but they have a lot less than they used to and they have to provision and budget and be more careful than normal because they are in need in a greater way than they were before. Someone in that situation is just one major setback away from being in serious trouble. There are others who, whose needs are hidden to us because they just don't want to tell us. They just don't want us to know the needs that they have. And so there are people around us, all around us, who have all kinds of needs. And here in James chapter 1, we have been learning about God's word and its effect in our lives. As we've walked through this paragraph of scripture that starts in verses 19 through 21, James has been telling us that salvation, that true faith in God, that true Christianity has certain marks about it that are important. In James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, we were told that we, were to, we are to be quick to hear God's word, slow to speak and slow to become angry. That is slow to react to God's word in a negative way. 
And at the end of that passage, we were told that we are to receive God's word because it can save us. And so God's word is really the focus of this entire paragraph from verse 19 all the way to verse 27, which we'll look at today. In James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, James expanded on how we receive the word of God as Christians and told us that Hearing God's word isn't enough. Yes, we're supposed to receive it and we're supposed to be quick to hear it, but hearing God's word is not enough. And in fact, if we hear God's word and don't obey God's word, we're fooling ourselves. If we hear God's word and think that means we're good Christians, that we're changed by it, but we actually don't change the way we live, James tells us we're fooling ourselves. And so he told us to be doers of the word and not hearers only in verses 22 through 25. In James chapter 1, verse 26, which we looked at last time, and is part of the subparagraph that we will continue to look at today. In James 1, 26, we learn that we can't receive God's word without it having visible, concrete expressions of change in our lives. That is, that if we're really receiving the God's word the way it says, it will change the way that we act. And if it doesn't, then again, we're fooling ourselves. And in today's passage, James chapter 1, verse 27, the final verse in the paragraph that we've been studying, we're going to continue to look at the results of true faith. And this is where what we've been learning in the past Sundays intersects with what I said here about there many being many people in need around us. Because in James chapter 1, verse 27, which we're going to study this morning, the Bible tells us that true faith is going to do something about those in need around us. If your faith in Christ is real, if my faith in Christ is real, we're going to look into the mirror of God's word as it's described in verses 22 through 25. And we're going to be changed by what we see there. We're going to be changed by what it reveals to us about God, but also what it reveals to us about ourselves. And that prolonged exposure to the word of God is going to change us in many concrete ways. But one of them is the way we respond to people who are in need around us. There are many people around us who are in need, but, but true believers in God will help people in need. True believers in God will help people in need. Let's look again at our verses for today. And I want to read them again, and then I want to poke back into the one that we looked at last Sunday. So James chapter 1, verse 26 is where we started last Sunday. And it says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. In today's passage says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This verse teaches us, among other things, that true believers will help people who are in need. And we have to start with the idea of the phrase true believers because as we saw in verse 26, not all believers in God are true believers in God. Remember last time in James chapter 1, verse 26, 
we read these words, those who consider themselves religious. And we talked about how many people believe that they are followers of God. Some in the Christian religion and some in other religions, but there are many people all around the world who consider themselves to be followers of God, to be worshipers of God, to be people who know God and will be received by him at the end of their lives. There are many people who fit in this category. They consider themselves religious. But James goes on in this verse to say, if you do that and yet do not keep a tight rein on the tongue, that person deceives themselves and their religion is worthless. And the point that I tried to make last Sunday is there are many people all around the world holding to many different kinds of religions who think because they have a heartfelt attachment to some kind of God that they have real faith. And James says, your, real, your faith is not proven by how deeply or how emotionally or how steadfastly you think you're a believer. It's not about how deeply you feel as a religious person, whether as a Christian or something else. It's not the depth of your passion for your particular religion. Instead, if your faith is real, this verse tells us, it's going to change how you live. Specifically in verse 26, it's going to help you control how you talk, which for James is the hardest of all sins to master. He'll come back to it in chapter 3. And we'll, be in, we'll have an extended treatment of that issue later. Now, here's the point. Verse 26 is telling us there are people who consider themselves religious, but it's, at the end it says their religion is worthless because they've deceived themselves. And so there are many people who think they are believers in God, but James wants us to know that not all believers in God are true believers in God. And so he goes on then into, from 26 into verse 27, and he tells us in this section that true believers in God are changed by their faith in God. True believers in God are changed by their faith in God. He's already talked about the controlled tongue in verse 26 and how that's one of the changes that he describes, but that's described in a negative way. He says, if you think you're religious and you don't have this, then you're fooling yourself. Now in verse 27, we get the positive information from scripture about what it looks like to be changed by the power of God in your life. And verse 27a begins with these words. It says, religion that God our Father accepts. Now, this word religion, we looked at last time, and I told you that it's a word that evangelicals like us don't like. Because it smacks of formalism. It smacks of doing religious, ritualistic things that aren't really connected to true faith in, in God or anything. And so we don't like the idea of religion. We say it's not religion, it's relationship, and we're not wrong. But James uses this verse, religion, to kind of lump in everyone who makes some kind of claim to God, whether their claim to God comes from Judaism, Christianity, or some other religion. This word religion is used to describe all kinds of beliefs, all kinds of attachments to God. 
James raised this issue of religion in verse 26. Now in verse 27, he wants to narrow it down and he wants to define what real religion is, what real faith in God looks like, what it means to really trust in God and really live in a way that reflects someone's trust in God. And so he's already talked about the controlled tongue. Now in verse 27, he's going to give us more information about what genuine faith in God looks like. And what he's going to tell us here in verse 27 is that it has an effect. There are two in this passage. One is to look after the orphans and widows. And the second one is to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We'll come back to this one in another message. The focus of today's message is on number one here. There are many ways in which genuine faith reveals itself in a person's life. There are many actions that a true believer in God will demonstrate in his or her life. One of them is how we treat the people around us who are in need. Because we've been changed by true faith in God, James is going to tell us, that means we are going to show it by helping people who are in need. Helping people in need is one way that true faith in God changes us. Now let's look at verse 27 and let me show this to you from our verse. I've already told you that religion here is a general word for any kind of faith, but notice that James adds a whole lot of conditions to this to tell us that he's not talking about religion in general anymore. He was in verse 26. Now in verse 27, he wants to narrow things down. And he does that in two ways. First of all, he says, it's religion that God our Father accepts. And we'll come to that word accepts in a moment. But notice that phrase, God our Father. This tells us that there is a true object to genuine faith. That just having faith that some kind of God exists is not genuine faith. We're told that in our world all the time. That all religions are designed to bring people to God. They may use a different name for God, but they're all different roads to the same destination. But that's nonsense. The Bible says true religion, true faith, has the one true and living God as its object. It's God the Father. That's what matters in terms of whether or not your faith or mine is genuine or real. Is it, is it aimed at, is it, does it have as its object the true God or not? You can't have true faith in a false God. That's what verse 26 talks about. It's that deeply held faith, but it's badly misplaced. If you want to know if you have true faith, it needs to be, it needs to be uh, directed at the one true and living God, whom James describes here as God, our Father. But notice the next word that he uses to describe God. Because he tells us that the true God is the measure of whether your faith or mine is genuine. Notice he says, religion that God, our Father, accepts. That God, our Father, accepts. A lot of people think that because they have genuine, deeply held faith in someone, that when they get to the end of this life, they'll be received into eternity. 
But this passage tells us that there's a kind of faith that the true God accepts. And the implication is there are kinds of faith that he doesn't accept. The Bible tells us that there is coming for all of us, an audience, a one-on-one audience with the true God, that after your life is over and mine is over, we will stand before God in judgment. And when we stand before God in judgment, our destination, whether it is in the kingdom of God forever or in hell, apart from God, that's already been settled. That was settled in this life, but it will be declared, it will be determined in that one-on-one audience with God. And there are going to be millions of people who had deeply held beliefs in some kind of God, but they will not be accepted. Because the true God only accepts a certain type of belief. And that certain type of belief is demonstrated, or I should say it is rooted in Jesus Christ. It is rooted in the revealed word of God. Remember, that's the topic of this entire uh, paragraph, going all the way back to verse 19. It's the revealed word of God. James is saying God has revealed himself in his word, and his word calls us to put our faith and trust in him to be accepted by God. But now James is saying, you and I might have an orthodox belief in God. Yes, we have rejected the other gods, the false gods, We may have accepted God as he's revealed in scripture, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we've truly received Christ. In other words, James here is marking out for us not only genuine Christianity in distinction from other religions, but genuine Christianity in distinction from false professions of faith in Jesus Christ. Remember in verse 26, he said people who don't, tame their tongue, have a worthless religion. They're deceiving themselves. And these are people who have received God's word. Remember, earlier he said, if you receive God's word and you're not changed by it, you're deceiving yourself. Here's the point. There are people in our world, there are people, perhaps, I hope not, but in all likelihood, probably, some people in our church, or at least who have come through our church, who have an orthodox profession of faith, They believe that there is one God in three persons and that the second person of the Trinity came into this world and became a man named Jesus Christ who was both God and man fully and who died for our sins and rose again. They believe all those things in a sense. But they still don't necessarily have saving faith. James here is trying to distinguish people who have a a profession of faith in Christ. They call themselves Christians and they believe Christian things. But they're not genuine Christians. How do you know if you're a genuine Christian or not? Well, religion that God, our Father, accepts shows itself in certain ways. That's the point. It's the way you respond to your faith in God, the way it shows itself in your life that reveals whether or not you truly belong to Jesus or whether you're fooling yourself with worthless pseudo-faith. As we continue to look at this verse, James 1.27, James says, religion that God our Father accepts. And notice why he accepts it. Because he accepts it as pure and faultless. These two words mean the same thing. 
They mean something that is the real genuine article, that it's untainted by anything else. If something is pure, it has not been diluted or tainted or compromised in any way. And if something is faultless, that means it's pure. Okay, and so do you see, and this is why I'm I'm trying to really stress this. James is trying to distinguish. He's not trying to tell you how to get to God. He's trying to tell you if you accept Christianity because it's the right way to God, how do you know if your Christianity is real? That's the point that James is trying to stress. He's trying to stress to us that there is a way of being a Christian in a sense without actually knowing Christ, without actually being transformed by the grace and power of God. And that's what all last week's message was entirely about. But I need to bring that up again because there's a very real sense in which we can look at the specific thing that James says and miss the point. James' point is not that we take care of others and then God accepts us, that we do something, that we do some kind of work, and that's what makes us a Christian. No, what he's trying to tell us is, If we truly know God, it's going to change who we are, and it's going to change the way that we live in this world necessarily. And so notice then what he says about the religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. He gives a very specific, a very concrete answer to the question of what God accepts as pure and faultless. And what he says is we need to help people who are in need. Helping people in need is one way. It's not the only way, but it's one way that true faith changes us. It's one of the ways in which genuine faith works it out in somebody's life. And this phrase that's uh, translated here, let me clear the screen because things are getting uh, complicated, right? Here's the phrase we're looking at. The Bible says we are to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Notice this phrase, to look after. This is a phrase that describes a very careful examination of someone or something. It has intention baked into it. This isn't someone who just notices the guy by the side of the road that says homeless need food. It's not someone who just sees that there are needs around. No, this is someone who looks after, and other translations translate it visit, and that's a decent translation as well. But the point of this, saying that we look after these people or we visit these people, is not that we simply see their needs, and it's not that we simply acknowledge their needs. It's not that we say, boy, it looks like you're in a tough spot. I hope things go better for you. Good luck. No, to visit or to look after these people means to show up with provisions. It's talking about someone who intentionally not only sees the need, but shows up to try to meet the need that that person has. And we can see that this is what James means because he further qualifies it later by saying in their distress. We are to look after them in their distress. The point is, these are people who are in trouble These are people who have serious needs. These are people who are compromised in their life in one way or another. And if you genuinely have faith in God, James says, you're going to do something about those needs. Now, why does this work? Why does genuine faith in God show itself in needy people and how we respond to them? And here's the answer. The Bible tells us that God is a God of love. 
that everything we experience in this world, the sunshine, the rain, the way that the world predictably produces food for us, and that our hands, the, the work of our hands is blessed with this kind of production, all of those are expressions of the loving, common grace of God. And the Bible over and over again in the Old Testament and in the New Testament tells us that we, as, as God's people, are to love him with all our hearts and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And those passages that tell us to love others do it in concrete ways. They tell us we are not only to love them in the heart, that is, we're not only to have this really deep, burning compassion for them, but rather that love is an action word. Love takes action to meet the needs of others. And all through the Old Testament and into the words of Jesus, we are told that someone who knows the love of God, who has received the love of God through genuine faith, in him, is transformed by it. And because God's love transforms us on the inside, like God, we want to show love to others on the outside. And so if you and I say we love God, if we profess to love God, but we don't actually give ourselves or give of ourselves to help other people, James would say, your religion is worthless. You're not showing the kind of evidence of true knowledge of the love of God that a true believer in God would show. Now, notice the way that these two people are, these, these two groups are described in this verse. James says that we are to look after orphans and widows. Orphans and widows. You know what these are. Orphans are people who have no parents. Either their parents died or their parents couldn't take care of them or abandon them in one way or another. But we're talking here about children. Children who have no parents to provide for them and to care for them and to shepherd them through childhood into adulthood where they can care for themselves. Orphans don't have that. And the second category he talks about of person is the widows. Widows are people who have lost their husbands in death. Now in James's society, orphans and widows were the most vulnerable people, economically speaking. Children are not capable of putting eight to ten hours a day out in the fields on a farm every day, day after day after day. They don't have the physical capability to do that yet. And so if you're orphaned by your parents, you're not going to be able to earn a living like a full-grown man can earn a living. Instead, you're either going to starve to death or somebody is going to take care of you. That's what happens to orphans. Widows are in a similar predicament in the Bible. While they may have the physical ability, in a sense, to go out and earn a living, most widows have small children to take care of if they are widowed young. And they can't just abandon their kids, and so they have a responsibility to care for their kids, which means they can't earn a living for themselves and care for their kids at the same time. Or if a woman is widowed when she is older, she probably does not have the physical capability any longer to work in the fields. So orphans and widows are people who do not have anyone to provide for them and they cannot provide for themselves. Now here's the point I want to make. James singles out orphans and widows because they were the most needy, the most obvious people who have needs in the, in the culture, in the world that he lived in. But I think he's only specifying a, a class of person, a type of person. 
In other words, we're commanded not only to take care of orphans and widows, but we're commanded to take care of orphans and widows and anyone else who is in need. That person could be physically disabled. That person could have a chronic illness that prevents them from having what they need and being able to work. They could have a terminal illness that keeps them from having what they need. What he's talking about here is anyone who is in a needy position where the only way they can survive is if someone else comes along and provides what they need to keep living and to have as good a life as they possibly can in their current condition. James tells us if you and I have genuine faith in God, it's going to show itself, that genuine faith, in the way we treat people who have needs in our world and in our culture. Many of those needs, of course, have to do with whether or not they have the money to pay for a place to live or have transportation or have food, have the basic necessities of life. And of course, that's one of the ways we are commanded to look after people in this class, people in this situation. We are to look after them in the sense that we are to provide the things that they need to live. But I think there's a greater concern, a greater need that's expressed here as well. Because some people, because of the world that we live in, we live in a very prosperous culture and there are, we do have social safety nets that help people survive. There are people in our world who have needs that are beyond the physical needs. And I think this has been accentuated and amplified in the response that our world has had to the COVID-19 pandemic. Because the response to this pandemic has been to isolate and quarantine and stay away from other people. Many people in our world may have what they need physically, but they're starving for some love, some attention, some kindness. The Bible tells us this is not how we get favor with God, but this is how we know whether or not the faith that we profess is real or not. The faith, if the faith that we profess is real, We're going to want and we will take specific, measurable actions to try to help people who are in need. Now, the Bible tells us that there are many evidences of true faith. This is one of them. Not being worldly, which is at the end of the verse. We'll come to that in another verse. That's another one. Watching your tongue is another one. The truth is there are a number of things that the Bible says should show up if we're going to be doers of the word, if we have genuine faith in Christ. But the truth is that as Christians, we struggle with some of these more than others. And I just want to tell you, this one is one that I struggle with. Caring for people that have needs is harder for me to be obedient about than other aspects of the Christian faith and other, I should say, evidences, other ways of showing our faith in this world. And every time I preach a message like this, every single time, God tests me on this. Every time, without fail. Earlier this week, I received a call from someone who attends our church or attended our church very regularly, very faithfully before COVID. And this person is not really old, but they're old enough that they would be in in uh, they would be vulnerable probably to the virus more so than people who are, you know, five to 10 or more years younger. All right. So this is not somebody who's super old, but somebody who's old enough 
that they needed to take precautions. And this person has health problems that also would be problematic more than likely if they caught the, the virus. Here's the point. This is somebody who could die. Not every, the coronavirus doesn't kill most people, but it does kill some. And this person is one of the people that it could kill. She called me earlier this week. And while I was on the phone with her, the first thing I asked when I had the chance was to say, do you have what you need? Is there anything we can do in terms of money or clothing or food to help you out? And she had all of her needs met. And she had a very simple question, which was, when should I come back to church? On one hand, she wanted to be to take proper precautions, but on the other hand, she wanted to be here. She's always wanted to be here, and she doesn't have the means technologically to join us online and to watch online, so she misses the church family. She misses the teaching of God's word. She misses the worship, and she's wondering about when to come back. Well, that's a pretty simple question. So how long do you think our phone conversation lasted? It lasted for over an hour. And when I call it a conversation, it's, that's really a stretch. The truth is, I listened to her speed talk for about an hour. And I told you that I struggle with this, right? Caring for people who have needs. And I can tell you that as someone who has a lot, more, a lot of work to do, way more work to do than I'll ever get done in my lifetime, and someone who is always thinking about the pressing of the clock and the things that need to get done, and as someone who keeps a to-do list and likes to see things get checked off that to-do list because it gives me at least the feeling of progress. Being on the phone for an hour is not always the easiest thing for me to do. And so as I was listening to her talk, I was thinking about how do I, you know, can I get off this call? Is there a gracious way for me to end this? And then I thought about this verse, this very verse that I was preparing this very message to, to, to preach to you about. Here's someone who had no physical needs, but she really needed someone to care about her and listen to what she had to say. And I told you that God tests me on this every single time, and I believe he put me to the test this week. That even though this person did not need me to meet a physical need for her, she's lonely. She misses the fellowship of God's people. The very best way for me to live out my faith in that moment was simply to listen to what she had to say. And God made it easy for me because she called me. I didn't even have to go out and say, who do I need to call to put my faith into practice? Of all the things I did this week to serve the Lord, of all the things I did this week that would demonstrate genuine faith in God, I think maybe this one thing, just listening to somebody talk and caring about what she had to say, might have been, if not the most important ministry thing I did, it certainly was the greatest test of my faith. Because in that moment, I had the opportunity either to display the love of Christ in the way that I listened to her and talked with her, or to be selfish, to be self-centered, to put myself and my goals and my responsibilities ahead of her needs. The Bible tells us that if we have genuine faith in God, if God's love has truly changed us on the inside, one of many ways it's going to show up is that we're going to show love to other people on the outside, people who have needs that they can't meet themselves. 
And so, so if we are genuine Christians and if we are genuinely trying to follow God, we need to help people who have needs that need helping. That's one of the tests of genuine faith. It's one of the ways we show that we, our faith is real. And if I had ended that call early, if I had looked for a way to get off, if I had not given this woman what she needs, and if in other walks of my life, if I am stingy toward other people with my time or my money, James would come to me and say, your religion is worthless and you're fooling yourself. Because the love of God was not truly displayed in my life. Now look, I don't have this solved. This is an ongoing issue that God will keep, I'm sure, testing me on and teaching me on. But it's important for us as as clear as we try to be about the gospel, as orthodox as we try to be about handling the word of God, and all of those things are important. We are fooling ourselves if our profession of faith in God is solid and our doctrine is orthodox and our worship is awesome and our teaching is great. We're fooling ourselves if it doesn't show itself in tangible, obedient acts to the word of God. Then we're just hearing the word of God. We're not putting it into practice. One of the ways we show that our faith in God is real is by helping people in need. And so the point for this message and the big idea for today for you and for me is this. Help people in need as an intentional act of faith. And again, I got to stress this because it's critical. You don't help people to gain favor with God. It takes an intentional act of faith to receive Christ by faith and believe that he's true and want to obey his word that translates itself into helping and meeting the needs of others. That's why it's an intentional act of faith. It's an act of faith saying, God, I believe your word. I believe it, what it says. And I know it's my responsibility to care for other people. And so if you and I want to look at whether our faith is true or whether we're fooling ourselves, We need to look at how it's changed our lives. One of the ways it needs to change our lives is in the way that we help other people. So help people in need as an intentional act of faith. Now, look, we can't meet every need that's out there. Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. It's impossible for us to eradicate every need that exists because this is a fallen world. And it won't be until God's kingdom is here that those needs will ultimately and fully be met. But... Don't, lose the, don't use the fact that we can't meet every need as an excuse not to meet any need. When we do that, we're fooling ourselves. When we do that, we show our faith to be worthless. In the New Testament, when it talks about meeting the needs of others, there are priorities given to God's people. And I, I, I could do a whole message on this, and maybe someday I will, but let me just sketch it out for you. In the New Testament, we are to have priorities. Number one is your family. The Bible says if someone doesn't provide for their own family, they've denied the faith, and they're worse than an unbeliever. Your family is your first priority in terms of meeting needs. That means your parents, your extended family, and so on. One ring out from that are people in the church. The Bible tells us that people who aren't cared for by their families and people who or can't be cared for by their families, but they're part of our fellowship, they're our responsibility to care for them. And then the outer ring of responsibility is anyone in our reach. 
when Jesus talked about the Good Samaritan and said he, he was the one who loved his neighbor, remember the Good Samaritan wasn't out there looking for people in need, but he found somebody in need and he helped that person in need. That's the point. It's not to solve all the problems in the world, but it is to take care of our families, to take care of our church family, and to do whatever else God allows along the path of our life. And so let me urge you, and let me urge myself, to put our faith into practice, to show that we are faith is genuine in the way that we help others, help people as an intentional act of faith.